Hey everybody, uh, today is October 25th, it's Tuesday, it's uh, getting towards the, the fun part of the week. Um, just really excited about my guest today, Emmerich, I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, Erno, I think that's right. Uh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Good. He's here already. Um, and uh, real quickly, just want to touch on some news uh, that um, some news that I saw in the Internet today. And maybe we'll, we'll get his feedback a little bit on this as well. Um, so there was uh, news on the just kind of macroeconomic news for our industry. And it was kind of interesting because it was from Forbes magazine or Forbes, their online uh, outlet. And they were talking about SaaS and we're in our first reception. And they so the report was from Capgemini. Kind of interesting here what they had to say was that um, our industry has some unique characteristics. Um, so one of the things uh, that they said that unlike uh, bigger uh, other industries, that smaller was a safer bet in our industry. So a lot of companies or a lot of investors had chosen to go with bigger companies in other industries. Meanwhile, in the SaaS sector, they had focused more on smaller companies. So smaller companies with um, just seemingly risk adverse in a way. I'm not exactly sure how that corresponds to r r risk. Um, but just general, as far as valuations, the bigger the company, uh, the less well they did as far as their valuations. And, and so there seems to be uh, an additional emphasis on earlier startups and earlier SaaSes as opposed to bigger, more established SaaSes. Um, and also, interestingly enough, I think this is really interesting. They talked about the rule of 40. Uh, so the rule of 40, apparently investors, when they look at our industry, um, really healthy SaaSes as they're developing, they look for a combined growth profitability trajectory. So these numbers should be in the range of 40%. So if you have, I guess, 20% profits and 20% growth, they consider you a very good company. If you're able to do over 40%, you're considered a stunning company. But I think what's interesting about that is there's this, this, this chorus right now about profitability, profitability, profitability. But the statistics and all the data points show that investors are still favoring growth. Um, so I think any other industry profitability uh, would be the, the catch all. Um, but in our industry, it's it's still growth. Uh, so very interesting. Um, and I think um, so it's kind of interesting time in our marketplace. Um, there was also an article on Sifted talking about uh, talking about just the macroeconomics of our industry. And, and what's interesting is that the VCs say the prices are still too high and the, and the companies aren't coming down with their prices. But same thing, emphasis is really on earlier stage startups. Um, and so the focus seems to have shifted, but they said that there's no disruptive event here. Uh, so unlike uh, other other industries, for example, where um, uh, or, or like even the startup industry in 2008, 2009, where things literally ground to a halt, there's we haven't seen that so far uh, in our industry. So the focus is really on earlier startups um, and it's interesting because there has been more money raised. I mean, historically, more money has been raised right now than ever before. So VCs are sitting on 
a historic amount of money. Uh, and that's kind of where we get to the good news in the sector, which is I'm always happy to see these kind of impact initiatives. Um, you know, they don't all work out. Uh, a lot of times these are good intentions and, and don't deliver the results, but there's a fund in Austria uh, focusing on female founders. So I think these are kind of important things. Uh, and hopefully um, we'll see more initiatives like this, more successful initiatives. It's one thing to have these initiatives, but it's really important that they're successful as well. Um, so investing in minorities and, and women is great, but only if it works. So, um, you know, we just shouldn't be throwing money necessarily after bad things. But, you know, there's uh, some great companies recently started by women. Canva is one that comes to mind. I mean, Canva is just a stunning success. So very interesting. And then, of course, Canva is just quite a bit in social media. We'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, and with that, I think I'll bring on our guest today. Um, so I'm really excited. We have Emmerich Erno here. I think um, I'm sure my pronunciation is as good as his. Um, Emmerich uh, is just a fun guy to speak with. Uh, hopefully my all my uh, hopefully all my my um, let's see how this is gonna work. Huh? It's always a challenge to get this to work quickly. Let's see here. Oh, let's try this one more time. What are you trying to? to uh, just just to bring your video on. I can't see your video right now. Uh, oh. can, can you bring your? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, fair enough. Good. We've got your video back. Good. So I can transition the screen to here. So we have Eric here today. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I love your introduction. A fun guy to talk to. I, I, I that's the, the 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 description I want to have every single time now. A fun, want, a fun guy to, to, to talk speak to. with. I want to be. I want to be the fun guy. I, I love to be fun. That's my goal in life. I, it is definitely. Well, you know, I, I just got to say, looking at your profile, you're a kite surfer. Uh, so sometimes I have questions about these work life balance and, <laughs> and things like that. But I think we understand what your what your um, what your balance is. Um, yeah. Emmerich, uh, you, a girl pulse, uh, your company has been around for 12 years now. Um, you're, uh, as I understand it, you're a lawyer, um, and you also worked previously and lived in San Francisco. Is that correct? In Washington, DC and Washington, DC and Nigeria and Senegal. Yeah. A lot of different places. You've been all over the, I'm just be curious. So we'll kind of start off with a softball question. What, what has been the effect of living in different countries and, and being exposed to different cultures. Do you think that's brought you anything as a founder? Of course. Yeah. Of course. The main the main effect is that the world is your playground. You don't you're not afraid of going anywhere, living anywhere and, and changing the place you live in because you're used to it. So it, it does change your approach to the world for sure. Okay. Um do you think uh I mean I I, I guess I'm kind of um maybe a little proud of, of, of my country, the American culture, whatever did, did being around San Francisco, San Francisco has kind of a special energy. That's where I'm from originally from, from that's where I'm originally from. Do you think it had an impact on you, especially the, the culture there, or was there not anything that too different? Funny enough. Uh, I don't think it did. Uh, I think the one great outcome I got out of being exposed to the Valley and the tech ecosystem yeah. is to demystify it. When you are living in Europe, 
you are looking first of all you're looking at the us as a as a whole different world like it's you know it's it's a bit scary it's very big uh, it's it's very much advanced in many ways like 15 20 years ago there was no almost no vc ecosystem in france and a little bit in europe it was very already striving in the us so we were always always looking at that country as the oh my god we're so small they're so big we're so bad they're so good and then you look at San Francisco and that's the pinnacle of all that. Like, you're right, it's the, it's the top of the top of the mountain where the U.S. is already sitting when you're looking at it from uh, from here. When you go there for an extended period of time, you demystify that. Those are just human beings. They're not smarter than you are. Their IDs are not better than, your, than yours. Yes, they may get access to funding, you know, to a level of funding you don't have access to. But at the end of the day, that does not do everything. There are successes of, you know, there are very successful companies that didn't get funding, like think Belchin. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, demystifying that, you know what, after having been exposed to this ecosystem and these people, I actually think I can do it too. It, it, it's very helpful. Oh, that, I think that's really a great idea. I mean, that's, that's a really powerful idea because it, it, I think... Yeah, if we're not around people, we just don't know. And I think it's it's funny because I a lot I talk with a lot of people and they're like, oh, the U.S. is this, the U.S. is that, and we really don't know unless we spend time there. So that was must have been a great opportunity for you and and to see that people put on their pants one leg at a time, just like anywhere else. <laughs> Absolutely. And and make make tons of mistakes as well. Uh, make, yeah, totally tons of mis- tons of mistakes. Yeah. Uh, and so most of the time, more expensive mistakes than the ones I made because I didn't have enough cash to make expensive mistakes. So when you have access to a lot of funding, you make expensive mistakes. That's that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. um, it's funny. I spent some time recently looking at different social media tools. Mm. Um, and the it's really changed quite a bit. Um, the pricing in the marketplace has changed. Uh, what you can get in freemium. And it seems like uh, things are maturing in this marketplace and people are willing to spend. The pricing has gone up since I first started these using these tools about five years ago. Oh. Um, and it seems like that that pricing is justified to, to a certain extent. Agoropulse has been around for 12 years. Uh, yeah. That's right? Yeah, almost 12, almost 12 11 now, yeah. Okay, congratulations. Because for a guy who's been doing this for 12 years, you look remarkably fresh and not, not at all too tired. <laughs> uh, which means you must be enjoying uh, what you're doing. So uh, for 12 years, what have you seen? What is, what is, what, I mean, did you start out at the same orientation or have you pivoted? Uh, since oh, the we've, company's we've, been... we've pivoted. Okay. Uh, definitely, definitely. When we started out, it was all about face. It was Facebook only. And it was all about uh, contest promotions, you know, quizzes, that kind of stuff that is done. Like we don't even have that in the product anymore. Okay. So that that was that was a big pivot, and so the the two pivots that we've made were actually one, but technically speaking and product wise, there were two. It was one, go beyond Facebook and do the whole spectrum of social networks. Mm-hmm. That was a big one, especially when you were not funded. <laughs> it was a lot of work yeah. for a team of four developers, <laughs> if you put it this way, at the time. And uh, the other one was to go be you know don't stop like transition from the contest promotion and sweepstakes and that kind of stuff to a totally different game, which is social media management, like being the, the day-to-day tool of people who have to deal with social media for their, their agency. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, that You said you didn't have investors when you made that pivot. Is that correct? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. So there were no investors. What about today? Are there investors? Um, well, still not. 
because we do have investors in the capital, but they didn't invest in the company. They did um, uh, a secondary round, which is they bought they bought out the business angels that we got from our previous business that was that was before the pivot to Agorapulse that was called Affinities. Mm -hmm. It was a build your own community online, and it it didn't work well. Mm -hmm. And uh, but but we had those investors since the beginning of the the company that mm. it's still the same so gorpulse is 11 years but the company is 22 years my co-founder and i we've been together for um 22 years hello ben and um uh we've tried you know many other ids that didn't work out and this one eventually worked out and and we had um we had investors in that previous business hi you know how do you um, so you tried other ideas that didn't work out. Did I mean, did it set you back morally? I mean, did it cause depression or anything like that? Or you just let it roll off your back and you're like, next time we'll get it. I learned something important here. Yeah. That's okay. Well, let me ask you this. We're both human beings and we're made of the same uh, flesh and brain and everything. Would that set you up? Would that make you feel bad if you failed? Uh, you know, I failed so many times. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's hard to count. I don't even keep track anymore. <laughs> So I yeah. guess, I guess my, my, feeling, hard. And my, yeah. my guess, I mean, yeah, it is hard, but my guess is, is if you're not failing, you're not trying. Yeah. Uh, so if, if you're, if you're not failing, you're, you're kind of too close in your comfort zone. And, and I, and I'm not sure, I think we learn from challenging ourselves. Um, so. Yeah, we do. We do. But at the same time, when the, the failures are too often, they're too big and too painful, you know, it does wear you out. It, it, it is a difficult thing to cope with for yeah. sure. There's no, there's no miracle recipe to feel good about failure. It does feel bad, period. Yeah. I, I don't want people to believe like, oh, it's the amazing world of rainbows and unicorns and Emmerich and Steve and all these amazing people. They don't have pain when they fail. They have actually pleasure and they enjoy it. No, we don't. No. <laughs> they don't enjoy that. And it is hard. Uh, and that's why there are so few uh, people who eventually succeed and you know try to build a business eventually succeed because it's, it's, it's pretty hard, emotionally speaking. But you're right. You do learn and you do grow and it gets easier when you have the comfort of not having your life or at least that's how you feel in the early days on the line. Mm -hmm. In the early days, you have no cash, you have no assets, you have no nothing that belongs to you. And every time you fail, you feel like your whole life is going in the drain. Um, when right now we're still failing at all the things, but I have assets, I have cash, I have a decent salary. So I, I, I don't feel my life is at stake every time I fail. I, I'm like, you know, I'm more in the, yes, I learned something that's great. Let's try again uh, mood than in the early days when I had nothing. That's really interesting. I know I spoke with uh, another founder, Lloyd Lobo, who's like you, is kind of a serial founder. And Lloyd um, got COVID. He was overweight. He almost died from that. And he talked about the necessity of meditation and, and doing sports and, um, and really, really taking time out for himself. And he, he said it really comes back to being a better founder uh, and being more available. But there's a lot of issues with, with founder health. And I think beyond that, just working at a startup can burn you out as well. Um, so you guys are, are, so in this iteration of what you're doing to the company, so Agora Pulse itself, you guys are 12 years in. Um, I was looking at your website. It's, there's tons of stuff on customer support. There's tons of stuff on training. It's a very complete website. Um, how many people are working at the company now? 165, I think, right now. 165? And can you guys talk about, uh, are, so you're bootstrapped really for the most part? Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Okay. Can you talk about ARR and stuff like that? 20 millions. 20 million. Bravo. Mm. What do you think for, for, it's still small to the, in the grand scheme of things, uh, we're still a small business and we have a much, you know, grander, uh, ambitions, but, uh, but it's a great achievement. So yeah, I, I'm pretty bad at seeing what I've achieved. I'm pretty, really good at seeing what I've not achieved yet. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll take that opportunity to, to acknowledge your, um, congratulations and say, yeah, it's, 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 it's cool. Yeah, that, I, I think it is really cool. And, and, and I think like everyone, it tends to measure our industry by unicorns. Um, but I think uh, that the true wealth of our industry is like how many new startups are being started? Um, how many there are after five years? Uh, there's a lot of M&A business. I noticed that at SAS Talk, there was a lot of talk about M&A. Um, and I think the other thing that was really interesting is there was a lot of talk about alternative funding models as well. Um, and so I think what my, my point being is I think our ecosystem keeps getting richer and richer and richer. Mm -hmm. uh, and so your company, I don't, no one can predict what the end game is of your company, but there's a lot of smart people that have worked at your company who you've accelerated their learning curve. Mm -hmm. Um, and, sure. and, and that's something I'm very proud about. Yeah. And they'll go on to start companies. Uh, who knows? Maybe they'll hire me or, or, uh, who, who knows what, what can happen. So I think oh. that's a good thing. Um, so, so when did uh, your, your mo most, your most recent pivot happened when exactly? Uh, I wouldn't call that a pivot. I would call that um, um, a positioning exercise. So for several years, we've been known as the only company that provided a social media inbox. And I'm talking like 2014, 2015, something like that. Okay. We were the first company to invent the concept of social media inbox. So basically making social media chaos becoming you know readable and manageable. And all the other tools at the time, they were displaying social media incoming content in feeds. And you have like dozens of different feeds, depending on how many profiles you had, how many accounts, how many keywords you were listening to, whatever. And that was overwhelming. But it was the early day of social. That was the first version of Hootsuite, the first version of um, um, uh, TweetDeck, you know, this kind of, this kind of tools. And um, we invented, I, I, we looked at that and we said, this is not right. People are used to email social incoming social content should look like an email inbox, right? That's something people are used to, and it's very easy to manage and they're used to manage it this way. Uh, and we did that and that, that helped us. That's why we were able to get boost, to stay bootstrap and, and grow in, in a, up to four or 5 million at the time, uh, AR. And, but that you know, obviously we, we could not, I, I, I don't even, I didn't even try to protect that. Um, so we didn't. And we were copied, you know, Sprout Social copied us a couple of years later, Hootsuite copied us five or six years later, and now everybody everybody has a social inbox. But we really were the inventor of that. And that made us be unique for a while, for um, two or three years. And being unique on the crowded market is a very, a very important thing to be. And after 2017, 2018, we were not unique anymore. I think Hootsuite copied us in 2018. And we had to reinvent ourselves, and we did not for a while. And it, you know, things become difficult when you're similar to the competitors, and the competitors have more money, more people, more visibility, more brand awareness. So we knew we had to come up with something to become unique again, and that's that one thing that we've been working on for for a year now. 
And uh, we call it social media ROI. And it's basically helping people working on social media to see the value they are actually getting from their work on social, value in web traffic and conversions in revenue. And uh, so it could be looked at as, as a pivot, but for me, it's more like an evolution. Okay, so it's a positioning exercise. Yeah, it's obviously based on a one year of R&D on the product. So it's oh. not just a marketing thing. <laughs> so product, product and positioning, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. But it is, the motivation is, okay, we have to be unique. We have to have a unique offering for a specific uh, type of customers for whom that positioning will be really, really valuable. So we can say, oh yeah, we're like all these competitors that you've heard of, but we have that unique thing that will matter to you and they don't. And that's, that's what we've done. Um, interesting enough. So you had this, the social media inbox, uh, were you surprised at all? How long it took your competition to pick up on that? And I mean, were you, it seems like two, three years to let someone have kind of their little niche seems like a long time. Were you surprised how long it took them to implement that on the product side and, and catch up? Yeah, I was surprised how long it took Hootsuite for sure. Um, Sprout was you know, moved a lot faster. Yeah. All the tools that got launched after that, like there are tools that got launched after 2016. Those just, you know, looked at everything on the market and, and went there directly. Mm -hmm. Obviously, for the other tools that were already incumbents on the uh, legacy on the market, they, they had to make a big change in how their product was built. So it takes more time. I understand that. We have the same problem right now. But uh, yeah, five or six years to do something that was so obvious to me, uh, it, it, it surprised me. Yeah, that, those legacy code issues. And so, and so when you, you did this, not pivot, but kind of repositioning with product development, mm. recent, most recent iteration around social media ROI, where was the genesis for that idea? Where did the idea come from? Uh, that's an amazing question, Steve, uh, because there's actually a genesis to that idea that I'm very, very excited about. And uh, I love telling that story. So it is a story. It is a customer story, actually, which, which are the best. And uh, it's someone who was a customer of ours and using us to manage comments on our Facebook ads, where she had all of the Facebook ads for her business. And she has a ton of comments on those ads. And as she was replying to those comments on those Facebook ads, she was spending a ton of time directing people who were asking questions about the products that were in the ads. The, it, it, the products were women underwear. And people were going in the comments saying, oh, I love this bra. Do you have it in yellow? Do you have it in green? Do you have it in size? this or that and do you deliver in my country and those questions were always the same and she was replying to them with sending them to the website where they could actually buy the green color the size whatever um and and get all the information for delivery options for you know their country and everything and eventually she delegated that response job to a team in the philippines of virtual assistants and she trained them to do that and, and, and the team in the Philippines starting to take that away from her. And one day her boss came to her and said, um, this is this team in the Philippines is too expensive. I don't think we need that. And she was very afraid of losing that team in the Philippines because she knew she couldn't go back and answer to the answer those comments. And and that's that's where she had this idea of asking the team in the Philippines to add tracking parameters to each and every link that they were pasting in those in those comments replies. And when they did that, they started to track the revenue that was directly attributed to their work. And after 35 or 45 days, 
she actually got able, she was able to measure the exact amount of revenue that those comment replies were generating for the business. And I think it was like 4,000 pounds per month. And she went back to her boss and said, look, my team is costing 2,000 pounds per month. They were Filipino VAs. They're not as expensive as European or European team or a US team. Right. They're costing 2,000 pounds a month and they're generating 4,000 pounds of revenue since our product is 50% gross margin at the very least, and my team is paying for itself. And so we can take all the, the, the side benefits of awareness, good customer experience, uh, word of mouth, Look, that's amazing, these people are super responsive, all that, which is soft benefits that you can't measure the value of in terms of dollars. We get them after having paid for the team by the margin we're making on what they're selling in the comments. Now, was that such an amazing story? She came to me with that, with that, and I, I, I told her that's an amazing idea. I, I, I am, I am, I am uh, uh, blown away by what you've done. But she said, "Yeah, I know, but it's, it's a pain in the butt because we have to copy paste all day long. Can't your tool fix that for me?" And at the time, I couldn't prioritize it. But I have never forgotten that story. And when the time was right, uh, we we actually built the solution that she, she was um, looking for two, two or three years ago. So what is the solution? What does it look like today? What, what, what does it allow her to do? It's basically, so all the work that those VAs in the Philippines were doing, adding tracking parameters to the link they were posting in those Facebook comments. Mm -hmm. Now we're doing it automatically, so you don't, even, you don't have to think about it. Uh, okay. When you post a link, the link will be tracked. And then we connect to GA and we repatriate every conversion data that you get on Google Analytics. And we're basically able to tell you this post generated that much money. That person in your team got that many conversions. Um, that, you know, that, that type of uh, content got that many visitors on your website that day of the week. Anything that you know from the work you're doing on social on social with your team, we're able to connect with the, the end result it got once they landed on the website. So for example, if I were to hypothesize, I would say if I am uh, selling an employee advocacy tool, uh, I could set um, a listening rule on Twitter for everybody asking for employee advocacy tools and I could engage with them. Hey, I know you're looking for an employee advocacy tool. Maybe you wanna check this one out. Link, sending to the employee advocacy tool that I'm selling and measure if that engagement strategy on Twitter is, is generating traffic, conversion, and revenue, which is something that was not able, that was not possible before. It is now possible with, with our tool. Oh, that's really slick. That's really slick. Um, I guess as a, as, a, as a former marketing manager responsible for social media, one, we're always struggling with um, justifying what we do. Uh, yeah. and, and proving to people that it's worth our time and the investment and everything. And social media, it's a lot of people in organizations perceive it as something you have to do, and, yeah. but more of a cost center as far as time and money and not really something that adds uh, a lot of tangible benefits. So that's really interesting. Yeah. And, and it's our vision now. We want to turn social media from a cost center to a profit center. It's exactly our, our mission. Yeah. Well, I guess a lot of people understand the, the importance of using it for visibility, um, but beyond visibility um it's kind of the last mile of your organization and how your organization is perceived on social media like if you're perceived as reactive and dynamic and creative uh and professional um by extension people assume that your company's that way as well 
Yeah. To, to, in part. Yeah. And, and all these things are amazing and you want to be all these things. Yeah. But in, in tough times, like the times we're going through now and we're probably going to go through even more in the coming months. Yeah. This is not enough. You also have to prove some kind of measure of direct success, like, you know, some kind of conversion, some kind of revenue. If everything you have in your in your arguments uh, suitcase when you, when you're going to your boss about the benefits of the job you're doing is, oh, I'm proving that we're amazingly responsive. If if it's all you have, then your boss is going to start questioning. Yeah, do I do I? We need to make money now. Being responsive is nice and all, but uh, <laughs> you know how how do you how, how how are you more than just responsive? I'm I'm paying you too much for being responsive. <laughs> I need more. We need a and little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the challenge. And that and it's a real challenge. And we've had that challenge as well. I you know, I I, I keep telling people who marketers and people who work on social media, uh, I keep explaining them how CEOs work in their mind. They look at the balance sheet, they look at the PL, they look at the payroll, when th- and especially when things are difficult. And they look at the people who are obviously necessary. I can't you know, I can't get rid of them. They, they are absolutely necessary to run the business. And then they look at everybody else and, and, and try to make up their mind. Okay, that person that's going to, yes, I can't, I can't get rid of her. It's too, too important. That person, uh, I'm not sure. She's amazing. She's responsive. She's everything, but I'm not sure. And if things get tough and you're in that seat, you're in the wrong seat. And we don't want our clients to be in that seat. So that's, that's why we, we're doing what we're doing to give them the ability to prove the value of their, their work and the ability to prove that they're a key component of the marketing organization. Yeah. So you um, you used a B2C example on the underwear there, but is, is this equally true for B2B? Is this, of course. I mean, it doesn't seem like it would make any difference from the B2B no, side. It's even more. Yeah. B2B, the, the, the average ticket of a B2B sales is like, what, 10 times, 50 times more? I don't know what the average, but it's a lot more money. Right. And, and for B2B, it's even better because for B2B, people value leads a lot you don't value if you're selling bras you're not valuing leads oh i'm interesting by your bra right. <laughs> yeah thank you you're yeah. worth nothing to me you you buy it or you don't buy it b2c is very binary yeah. buy or you don't buy if you don't buy you're worthless b2b it's not it's not the same if you don't buy but you show interest you're a lead and if you're a lead you may be worth 50 bucks 100 bucks 200 bucks depending on the value of the product maybe thousands of dollars Think about the leads of HubSpot. I mean, knowing the, the LTV of HubSpot customers, their lead value is probably in the thousands. So if social can help you capture valuable leads, then the value is amazing. Yeah, when you imagine how much they're spending on their marketing, their their lead value probably is in the thousands because when you, when you add up all the costs there. I think I read in the SaaS industry, um, uh, CAC, so customer acquisition cost, yeah. continue to rise. So that's not the cost of a lead, but I think they said it's something like over $600 per customer now. And it's, but it's rising like very, very quickly. So, yeah. Well, first of all, we have to, we, we have to understand that's an average and all average are wrong by definition, because it really depends on what's the price of your product and what's your, are you product led growth? Are you sales led growth? Are you paid led growth? So depending on how you grow your business and attract new customers, that, that CAC, as they call it, is going to be widely different. Sure. The reason it's going up, I believe, is mostly due to the increased uh, cost of uh, paid marketing. In, 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 
as far as I remember, everything I've read about that increasing CAC is because paid marketing is was becoming more and more expensive. Okay, it's it's Google uh, Ads fault and uh, LinkedIn, yeah. LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn ads very expensive too. Um, Facebook ads got much more expensive in the past five six years. We do we do very little paid, so for us it's it's very different. But um, that that's what I that's what I've noticed. So I spent some time on your website. You have, I, I think, some things that, um, as someone who uses SaaS, that I thought found really interesting on your website is one that you had training on your platform, so you had a kind of a certificate you could go through. I know some of the other social media platforms have this as well. I find that very comforting when I look at a SaaS tool, uh, mm -hmm. that there's kind of a certificate and that there's online training on their platform as opposed to that going to YouTube and finding a video like, how do I do this? Um, so I thought that was really interesting. The other thing that was a point of emphasis was on the technical support. Uh, so it seemed like you were rated very highly on your technical support. It said number one in the industry in your technical support. I don't know who's number one you are, but that, that sounds very good. Um, it's based on G2 reviews. So it's okay. based on thousands of reviews on G2. Uh, didn't make that up. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you, your point being about like statistics lie and, uh, yeah. and liars use statistics. So it's always interesting to look at that. So yeah, then, we, 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 we compare to the, the two most uh, widely funded players in industry who are Hootsuite in Canada and Sprout Social in the US. That's, okay. Those are the two comparison points. Okay. Well, in any case, those are like, for me, those are like two of the most comforting things that, that I can look at when I look at a sales platform, because I want to know if I have a problem, I can call somebody and also that I can train myself. And then the other thing I, I noticed, and it was interesting because you just said you don't spend a lot on paid uh, advertising, but you guys have a ton of content up on your website and, 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 and lots of different forums. Has that always been a big focus on your part? It's always been um, just for just for context uh, you know i told you we were not funded uh so in the early days i was everything i was support i was sales i was marketing and the con i was creating the content myself in 2012 2013 2014. okay and it's always been a big um pet peeve of mine because i think i like content i enjoy creating it and i think I have a good sense of the kind of content that's going to resonate with with the audience i'm trying to resonate with resonate too and uh, even after I, I stopped creating content myself, I've always been very much involved in ide ideation, you know, content ideation and, and brainstorming and, and, and thinking about it, like what can we do to create content that's going to be impactful and, and helpful for the people we're, we're, we're targeting. So do you work with your team still? I still, yeah, I still do. I, as we speak, I'm launching a podcast. So I do. <laughs> That I'm hosting myself, so it is. Uh, it is still something I'm. I'm. I'm very much invested into. So, uh, just so you know, you can't really get a, a, a an image of that from here. But I was. Uh, we had a call, a kind of a prep call, a couple of days ago to talk about this. And yet, I think Emmerich has better equipment than I do for podcasting. So, he's he's very well equipped person, and uh, uh, so I'm sure his podcast will be. Thinking, what yeah, is it? Thanks to my team, they they made me buy the right gear. I, I had no idea, and I said, "What should I buy?" And they they, they sent me the list, and and we have someone in our team who is uh, very much into video and and, and podcast. And Nathaniel is his name, and he said, "This is cho the the choice number one. It's basic, but it's okay. This is choice number two. It's probably the one I would take, and that's the luxury choice. And I mm. choose number two. <laughs> then number two. All right, good. Well, there's some perks. Um, well, good. And and so, uh, and what's your what's your podcast going to be focused on? 
social media ROI. It's called it's called the social media ROI hot seat. Social media ROI hot seat. Okay, really interesting. Um, one of the things here's my pet peeves as a former marketing manager, and I'd like to get your thoughts about this. Is um, you work hard, especially at at a younger company where it's not a big company. Let's say you're under twenty. Uh, you work hard to get something going. You write a piece of content or you win an award or you want what I call a visibility opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and you don't get any uh, from your, your colleagues for whatever reason. They don't make that post live. They don't comment on it or like it or anything like that. What's, what's your feeling? Should we, um, as a team with our social media, should we be playing ping pong and commenting on it and liking it? Or should we let it let more organic things happen like that yeah you can do that but if it's if it's all you get uh you're you're probably not succeeding okay but at the end of the day the success of your content or whatever you're doing on social should come from outside of the company okay because if if you count on the company and the, the team members of the company to help you get successful um you're not going to go very very far well, I guess the question is, is, is it, is it help from an algorithmic standpoint? Does it help you on the algorithm side or does it look bad or what are your thoughts on that? My, my thoughts are if people are really interested by what you're doing, you, you will not have to ask your team to engage with it. People will engage with it and it will blow, it will blow up. It will blow off. Let me give you one example. Yes. I, I, I spoke at SAS talk last week. Yes. And apparently my talk uh, was very well received. People enjoyed it. It was really helpful for them. It was addressing, it was addressed to founders mostly and people who are starting companies and running companies and, and, and they apparently liked it. And so I went on LinkedIn and I, 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 I shared the, the story that I spoke at SAS talk and, and my talk was, you know, was 20, 20 um, uh, pieces of advice, 20 learnings that I've learned a long 20 years of being an entrepreneur growing business to 20 million AR. So there were a lot of 20s in there. <laughs> and I said, if you want the, if you want the slides, you know, let me know in the comment, I'll send them to you. And I'll share them with you. And I had 112 comments <laughs> and, and maybe four people from my company commented yeah. on it. So at the end of the day, people wanted to get the content because it was valuable content that, it's not that it took me two hours to prepare the deck. It took me 20 years to learn the content in that, in that right. deck. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, and that got the engagement. And, and I didn't have to ask anyone. It just happened because it was really good content and they wanted to, they wanted to get it. So always think, what is it that's going to have that impact on people? What is it that I'm going I'm, I'm to share it? And when I say, I'll, and I'll send it to you if you want it, that they're, they're going to want, actually. Yeah. Not doesn't require your, your team to engage with. Um, that's interesting because uh, I have a confession to make. So before this call uh, today, <laughs> before the live stream today, I spent some time on Agora Pulse, the website. This is what you're supposed to do when you're when you're supposed to be kind of professional. So I spent some time on his website. I already been there, but I want to re- review and refresh myself. And then I also spent some time on your profile. And I saw a lot of people from that SaaS stock saying, hey, I want I want the deck. I want the deck. Yeah. And, and so there were quite a few people, people saying, I want the deck. So that's really great. Um, it, it, it's a little trick, I have to admit, but it showed me one thing. They were interested by the content because if, if my content was not interesting to them, nobody would have commented. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, what, as, a, as a founder, 
I mean, uh, it seems like a founder of a social media company seems like you're really engaged in social media and engaged and engaging with people. Um, do, do you think, I mean, I, I don't want to point fingers, but it seems uh, I've seen other companies where the founders, uh, especially if they're more technically oriented, aren't engaged. Mm. Um, to me that I, I've kind of, that it's kind of concerning to me for me. Like if, if I see a founder doesn't, just not doing that, it seems to me like there's maybe a lack of appreciation for marketing or what it's going to take to succeed on the marketing side. Uh, that's kind yeah. of a big open question and it's more of a statement than a question, but I kind of like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, you got lucky. You stumbled into, into my LinkedIn profile at a time where I had um, <laughs> a level of activity. It's not always been the case. I'm definitely not the most active person in my company. My CMO is way more active than I am. Okay. And and my head of sales is also much more active than I am. Uh, I do want to be active on LinkedIn. I, ch I chose LinkedIn because I, I have a hard time being active everywhere. My life is very busy and I still want to have one. So I, I got to make choices. But this is a choice of mine. The problem I had so far is that I don't want to be active sharing meaningless news or uh, pieces of my life. I don't, I'm not interested in by doing that. I really want to share content that's helping people and that's impactful. That's why this talk was, was a great opportunity for me. And that's why I'm starting this podcast, by the way, because I want this podcast to be creating that really useful and meaningful content that people want to hear and want to watch and want to see and want to read. If I don't have that, it's hard for me to go on social and share my vacation or my new house or my new bike or whatever. I, I'm really not into that anymore. Um, I used to do that on Facebook and Instagram a little, but I'm not doing, for example, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm really focusing because that's my motivation. That's what I enjoy is how can I help with the thing I share? And if I cannot help, then I'm not very active on social. And if suddenly I have something that I think can be helpful, then I am motivated to go on social and share it and engage with people. So that's my trigger. You got to find your trigger, but going on social for the sake of being social and, 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 and being present on social is probably not a great idea. And it's probably not sustainable either. You've got to feel like you want to do it because it fulfills you. Yeah, no, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, and I second your point about having disengaged from, from social media other than kind of for professional stuff. It's mm -hmm. not that I don't want to, but just most of the stuff I see mirrored back to me doesn't interest me that much so i don't want to share that much and um and it's really business i think one of the things i don't like i spend a lot of time like you on linkedin but when i see personal stuff or political stuff on linkedin i'm kind of like oops this is a professional channel let's keep it professional yeah. uh and if ever i feel like sharing something like that i'm like don't do it whatever you do don't do it yeah. um and the thing is for someone like me professional is also personal because i'm i'm, I'm a founder and my business is also a big chunk of my life so it's it, even if it's for many people it will only be professional for me it's kind of everything <laughs> some of the subjects you talked on there you want to share something that helps people and so mm -hmm. that makes me think of the world altruism and i noticed that you had signed up uh you'd signed a pledge a couple years back yeah can you talk a little bit about that yeah um totally it's it's a pledge that that basically where you basically commit to give away 1% of every, you know, every money you would get from selling your business eventually. Okay. Um, 
it's the Epic Pledge. It's a it's a French organization or initially, and um, and yeah, I you know I signed for one percent, but obviously depending on the amount, it's probably going to be a lot more than that. I I you know I'm I'm absolutely convinced that uh, keeping everything for yourself is is not a great way to be fulfilled in life. And I don't know about you, but the best moments in my life, the most joyful, the happiest moments in my life were when I was creating something valuable for others. Like when I was actually having an impact, a meaningful impact, and I could see it on their face on, on other people. Yeah. Uh, you know, buying a new car is just going to make you so happy for so long. Um, or, or a new toy or whatever that is. Making changing someone's life in a meaningful way, it is there's nothing that beats that. So, and my the one thing I I probably are are going to try to do once I get out of business, I don't know when that's going to be, uh, maybe in a long time, is to help other entrepreneurs because that's the one thing that makes me the happiest is when I, I have an impact on people who are trying to build their business and it's actually helping them. And that's you know, nothing replaces that money, money is worthless compared to that. Um, do you think, do you think uh, we talked about failure earlier? Um, and I have my cultural stereotypes about failure uh, and entrepreneurship. So of course, uh, um, do you think that, do you think the entrepreneurship and, and, and billing being able to take more risks, do you think that's changing? Of course you're in France, you've built an international company, but do you think that's changing in France? Do you think that there's more, the entrepreneurial class is, is growing and changing, or is that just kind of like, have I mystified things in my brain? And, and that's not really the case. Yeah, no, I think it has definitely changed a lot. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm not a so, so, sociology expert or anything, but I, I have a feeling that the younger generation is a lot less interested in security than the older generation were mm-hmm. and much more interested in independence, um, living your own life, you know, making your own choice more than being safe and secure working as a, in a bank or as a banker or a lawyer or something like that. So that's, that's something I have a feeling is happening with the change in mindset from younger people like, yeah, you know, I may be not, I may be not protected from financial um, issues or problems, but I don't care. I value more my freedom and the ability to do whatever I want to do that to feel, you know, fulfilled and happy. So that is driving more people to entrepreneurship because it kills the risk uh, factor from their, in their minds. Like, Oh yeah, I'm taking a risk, but I don't care. And um, and it 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 triggers that you know I want to lead my life the way I want because that's supposedly one of the value of creating your own business that you're creating it according to your own rules and and you see all these um, entrepreneurs who are starting businesses for many different reasons and putting a lot of people are some people are putting the environment as as the main reason why they're in that business some people are putting you know the social impact uh, some people are putting you know, changing uh, an industry. And you see the diff- the various reasons why people are starting a business today. They're much more varied than they were 20 years ago, for sure. 20 years ago, it was very capitalistic. And now it's much more uh, diverse, in my opinion. I wonder also if, if social media isn't playing a part in that. I mean, I, I know uh, my oldest son always talks like he, he says he wants to go do a startup someday. 
uh, and he's always talking about Elon Musk. So he won't stop talking about Elon Musk. So Elon Musk, of course, who's everywhere on social media, he must have uh, a lot of people working for him on the side or, or, or I don't know how he does it. But uh, in any case, there's definitely something there's definitely credit to that for sure, is that 20 years ago, what you heard from entrepreneurs and, and, and what you were able to to catch and understand from how leading entrepreneurs and, and business creators was much more dis- distant. You know, it, it, it was it was much more much harder to get very close to a successful entrepreneur to really understand what was in their mind, what was in their what, what their thought process and so on and so forth. With social and especially YouTube and podcasting and everything, it's very easy now. You want to learn how I built my business and the struggles I've gone through? Type my name on Google and do podcast or interview. You're going to find 10 different interviews of me and you're going to learn a ton about me. 20 years ago, that did not exist. And it's just me. I'm very, I'm a very unknown and small entrepreneur in the world. So you do that with everybody else. You're going to learn everything you want to learn about anyone. And that was not that didn't exist. And that's, you know, social with a capital S, you know, with uh, podcasting, um, uh, video platforms, interview platforms, communities, and stuff like that. So it it does play a role is making that information much more readily available for people to consume and to learn from. I think uh, the term you used at the beginning of this uh, talk was demystification. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's really an interesting and, and, and now that I think about it, it's kind of one of the goals of what we've trying to do here is is kind of do that to get people. I mean, we want to know about your products and, and what you're doing and, and the business you're building, but also kind of get to know the people behind these companies, whatever their role, they could be in a marketing role or founder role and kind of yeah. understand what's going on there. Was there a point, and this is a question, uh, was there a point where, where you know, like, you jumped off and you're like, I'm going to do this. Or was just this just always a natural progression to go start a company and do this? Um, yeah, there, there was a I'm jumping off and I'm going to do this when I was a lawyer uh, in a big American law firm in Paris in 1999. <laughs> and uh, I made that decision and we started thinking about the business with my co-founder and we launched it in July of 2000. That was a big, that was a big leap and a big jump. And by the way, one year later, I came back to the firm um, uh, crying, asking for my job back <laughs> because that very first attempt, I had burned all my, all my savings and the, the, the first attempt didn't work. So that was, yeah, that was, uh, that was a big jump. It was not a natural evolution because I was in a safe, highly paid job. And it was a very hard uh, jump to make for sure. And then I got back there. I worked there until 2004, kept the business on the side, worked you know nights, nights, evenings, and weekends, and went back to it uh, in 2004. Wow, that's incredible. That's a, that's a great story. But uh, I don't think people, uh, your point, which is like, you know, if people only see the happy uh, live streaming, smiling, yeah, everything is great part of us. They don't understand uh, the success that went on there. Uh, I've, I've never been in your role, but I've been right next to a co-founder. And I've just seen that as you go to raise money or you have challenges in your company, what an amazing emotional roller coaster it is for a founder or a co-founder. And especially, you know, the, I remember being part of that. The per- co-founder had run up debt on his credit cards mm. 
to start funding the company. So, you know, he was, he was like, had over a hundred thousand in debt on his credit cards every, and, and kept rolling that from credit card to credit card. And you're like, this is absolute madness, but, yeah. um, wow. Very impressive. Um, what about social media? Like, uh, you guys, I believe a girl pulse back to a girl pulse a little bit. You guys manage most of the traditional channels, of social media. Um, yep. so, is that include? Are you adding new channels? Do you continue to add new channels? We are. We have released uh, TikTok in private beta today. Ah, <laughs> uh, really? Okay. Yep. Interesting. So yeah. We are adding new channels, uh, and uh, obviously, we're looking at Pinterest. Uh, we're looking at WhatsApp. So we're, we're we're definitely looking at other channels that are valuable to the the, the market we serve and the people we serve. And uh, as everything else, we have to prioritize, which is really hard because there's so much you can do and so little time you have uh, that you always constantly have to make choices. For example, we didn't have a lot of uh, uh, market pressure for Snapchat, but we got a lot of market pressure for TikTok. That's why it's, it's being released and we've worked so hard on it. Yeah. Uh, so, so it's your customers um, that drive this stuff. Uh, TikTok and Pinterest. What about... I wonder, um, yeah, if you guys can do something on uh, Twitch, that would be great. So that's, I'll put in my... Uh, I don't even know if they have an API, do they? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah, that's a starting point for us because th there's no API, we can't work with them. You got to get the data somewhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, interesting. Uh, do, do you have any... Uh, do you have access to reports on social media? Do you have any ideas of where this whole social media thing is going, what the next trends are? or anything, um, anything any well, tidbits you can offer to our audience i don't have i don't really have hard data right now mm -hmm. uh from our own system but it is coming because uh, our data team is building uh data re repository a data lake <laughs> with all the social data that we have to start building those quarterly reports on how things are evolving yeah but if I had to make a guess based on what I've seen so far, uh, uh, TikTok is be is becoming overwhelming in in the space. Yeah, interesting. Have to have to talk to my adolescents about that. What about on? Uh, 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 I don't know anything about TikTok. They're they're the TikTok experts. Um, uh, in fact, I just after having turned fifty, I think you give off electromagnetic waves, and so I just let my kids do most everything as far as technology. Has there been um, a dramatic change in how B two B companies are using social media? Is the engagement going up? Um, are are they getting the messaging about it being ROI? Or what's happening? I I don't know. There has been a change, but I can tell you one thing: there needs to be a change. Okay. B2B companies are not going to be able to be successful in the future if they don't, if they're not successful in being known on social and especially dark social. I am absolutely convinced that if you believe that putting money on a couple of ads on Google and social is going to be enough for you to win, you're not going to win. More and more of future B2B success is going to come from B2B companies becoming really, really good at telling stories that people want to listen to and want to hear. And social is going to be the conduit for that. Like, there's no doubt to me. So learning how you can be that and how you can dominate your, your niche on social media. And for us, it's going to be mostly LinkedIn. is definitely a very, very important 
skill and um, and practice to build. That's interesting. I, I, I've never heard that expression before, dark social. What, is, what does that mean? It means that what you're doing is being spread out spread out on social and eventually it gets back to you but you can't really track everything because it's people talking making a recommendation people asking on a on a facebook group what tool should i use for x y and z and suddenly a bunch of people are coming in and so oh, you should use this and that and this 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 and then there's one tool that's being mentioned you know two-thirds of the times and it's it's capturing all the attention and then all the people who have who've, who've who are interested by the question that was initially asked, go and check that tool. That's dark social. You'll never know where these people are coming from because it's 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 not trackable versus a Google ad or a Facebook ad. So that's 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 why it's called this one. Uh, and, and you want you, you you want to engineer that. You know what I mean? You, you you don't want that to be luck. You want you want that to be something you engineered and you worked for. Yeah, planned luck. Hmm. Um gosh, I, I think I think um we we talk about this. We we talk about building a company in many ways technologically, as far as the sophistication of people like yourself, like the business models and the product and and the positioning. Um, we've never had so many tools to do this stuff. Um, mm. So the level of competency we see at companies keeps growing and growing and growing. Um, and at the same time, it requires people to be ever more creative about how they use resources yep. and, how, and how they're going to compete. Because if you if you try and run the playbook as a SaaS company, a B2B SaaS book, just from five years ago against a company that's really innovative today and the B2B, the SaaS, they're going to kick your butt up and down. You've, you've got to be really good. And I think you've got to be really good about how you're going to use your resources and measuring how you use your resources. So absolutely. And you have to constantly reinvent yourself every three, four years. You got to rethink how you're doing things, how you're growing, how you're getting known. Because if you're if you don't, Someone else will, and they'll kick your butt. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really funny. I remember, um, gosh, thinking about these companies like Xerox and, and Polaroid and Kodak. They're hardly around anymore. Yeah. And I and I and I think our our time keeps accelerating. Um, do you have you worked as an investor at all? Have you invested in any other startups? Yeah, a little. Not, a little. Not, not, not 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 a lot i i'm not uh i'm not cash rich uh so i did invest in a, in a couple but not not that many why do you ask <laughs> i just i just it's something that founders seem to get interested in after they've founded a company they seem to get interested in investing in other companies and 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 want to become and kind of move up in the ecosystem yeah that... i i i think that's what i said earlier yeah. um part of the founder dna is to help to like you know to enjoy helping people who who are like they were 10 years ago or 15 years ago and and there's joy in that and investing in them is part of helping them so that's probably why they do it there, there's probably um um the will to you know invest that money in a beneficial way eventually the company flourishes and and wins but more than that because most most business central investing is not working out so more than that it's 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 probably like um uh, being helpful to the younger generation of entrepreneurs. Yeah, that's great. Um, no, I think that mentoring role is is, is so important. Uh, in oh. fact, I, I, yeah, no, it's, it's just interesting. Any, any things I didn't cover? Any thoughts um, or questions or you'd like to share? No, no, no. I, I think we covered everything. Um, 
like you know I, i'll i'll repeat that again but uh never forget that you want to be unique and not the best on your market uh you don't want to be the best social media management tool you want to be the social media management tool with the unique ability to measure social media roi period that's what you want to be in the end and everybody who's listening to this in your business who are you who are you that who are you that uniquely positioned player in your industry so that you're unique for that specific buyer in that specific vertical and that's very important it's a very important question to ask yourself so what is your unique quality you don't need to be best in all things you just need to have a unique vision and something um do you, do you, it sounds like also you, you've linked that to being able to have a great narrative around that as well yeah of, of course storytelling yeah. is very important when you're when you're building your brand like look at what the big brands are doing the nike the coca-cola like it's a lot of storytelling like just do it is what what does it have to do with um, a pair of sneakers right yeah we don't we don't make the best sho shoes no just do yeah. it yeah it, it is about the story it's the story of you know we like the think about the advertising for uh, apple like think different from the 80s like what was that it was a, it was a story of apple loves people who are different and we're helping you with our computers but we're just like PCs, we're just selling computers. At the end of the day, um, they tried to be unique by positioning themselves of, you know, and telling a story of um, how they saw their uniqueness. So it is it is important to be unique product-wise, but it's also important to present it in a unique way. You, it sounds like you've watched uh, Simon Sinek. Have you? Did you see that? Simon I've, read, I've read two of his books, and yes, of course. Yeah. This is the thing. What uh, really quickly question? What are some of your favorite books uh, for reading for you? What are what are some books that have shaped your thinking in our industry? <laughs> I, I read three books a month, so that's a very hard question for me. Okay, uh, I'm gonna give you the the one I'm reading right now. It's called uh, 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership." And if you're in a leadership position, you have to read this book. Okay. And um, you know, but I've also read Traction last summer, and we're currently implementing EOS inside our company. I, I'm I I I love extreme ownership for from Jacko Willink. Um, I love uh, obviously awesome from April Dunford. I I, I have I, I should write it down by the way my list of favorite books, but I have many many books I I I've absolutely enjoyed reading and, and definitely shaped shaped the way I look at the biz, at business and the world and life today. It's just not one book; it's dozens of them. Yeah, that's interesting. Are you um, are you familiar with the service Blinkist? I, I am. Yeah. Have you have you gone on there and, and gotten exposure to books and ideas that way? Yeah, I have, but I I still because I'm a I'm a uh, heavy reader. I still like to read the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. Oh, well, they, they they say people that go on Blinkist actually end up reading more because uh, they get exposed to the ideas and they're like I have to go read this book. So. Um, yeah, it's, it it could be a good motivation. Like get the get the extract and then want to want to read the full thing. I, again, reading is part of my routine now. So like reading the whole book or listening audible to it is also something I do. Uh, like at the gym, for example. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, the the, the audiobooks. I I find that that's a great time saver as well. 
Okay, listen, uh, it's funny because while I was listening to you, there was, I was thinking of, um, well, there was one comment you made there about, about Apple, and that made me think of Simon Sinek. Um, there was another thing you said, when, when times get tough, you look at employees and you're like, which ones must I have and which ones could I do without? And I always remember there was that thing that seems really harsh about uh, Steve Jobs, where he would walk around the company and said, what do you do for the company? How did you help us uh, improve today? And if people couldn't answer him really quickly, he would let them go. Mm, uh, not harsh. <laughs> they, they, yeah. And so, um, and so I guess, I guess, and he wasn't even a downturn. He had a really profitable company at that point. So, um, but it's, that's tough business. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for your time. It was really interesting. Um, oh, I want to ask you a quick question. I, I saw that you guys also have a free trial. Oh, two things I noticed about your website. You just did a webinar today, I think on social media ROI as well, correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And is that available as a replay if someone wants to go? I think all our webinars are available as replays. Okay. And then um, the other thing was, uh, I saw you guys have a free trial version for like yeah. and a free plan as well. So we have two. We, we can try. You can try for free our paid plan, and you can use our free plan. That's really important, people. There are very few. I think there are no other social media companies that have a free plan. There's very few social media companies that have a free plan now. So if you need a little something just to manage uh, and get going, know that you can go with Agora Pulse and go get yeah. started. It's actually a very, 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 very good tool if you need if you just need a little something and you don't need the full the full package. Absolutely. Okay. Well, listen. Thank you so much for your time and and have a great day. Thank you, Steve. Have a All great right. day to you. Bye-bye. So it's so interesting. Um, so yeah, they'll be supporting TikTok. It looks like they're working on, on stuff for Pinterest as well. Um, really interesting guy, fun guy to speak with um, and clearly brilliant as well. Uh, his, uh, if you wanna go take a look at his profile, or get the deck from his recent presentation about his learnings. Uh, here's his profile here. Probably send a message. I'm sure he'd happy to reach out with you. Um, and then also here is his company. Let me Agora Pulse. Um, again, I was recently looking for a social media tool. Uh, I couldn't find any free plans. Um, they should actually write a blog about having a free plan available because um, it's getting harder and harder to find a free social media plan. Um, and some little businesses, as they're just starting out, it's kind of hard to justify uh, paying for everything and getting going. So it's, it's great if while you're getting going, or if you just really need a limited subset of the functionality, if you can have something. So this will let you, I think, post to three different profiles uh, for a single user, um, which is great if it's just like a little mom and pop business or it's a business just getting started. Uh, and you don't need all the bells and whistles. So that's great. And also, I just want to point out their, their website, like so many smart SaaS companies, their website is just a great source of ideas uh, and resources. Um, I think we could all do well to, to, to read about this. So uh, like social media basics for marketing agencies. Well, we, we should all read that. Uh, we should all think of ourselves as a marketing agency. Anyhow, I think we're going to wrap up for now today. I want to thank you all for being here. Uh, next week, a couple call outs next week. No, ne this Thursday, 
Um, so we're going to have Dennis Potemkin on. Uh, so Dennis Potemkin is founder uh, of a SaaS company. Shoot, I'm zapping their name really quickly. Uh, da, da, da. Dennis Potemkin. Uh, what is the name of the company? Uh, I can't I can't, sorry. Anyhow, Dennis Pickenton, they're gonna we're gonna talk about contracts. Uh, and it's really interesting. Um, if you are interested in, for example, if you use something like USign or, or a tool for signing contracts like this, you're gonna really wanna come on here and talk with Dennis Majoto. Thank you, my audience. Majoto. Oh gosh, I, I'm getting senile here. So Majoto, so they do a lot on contracts. And this sounds like a really boring subject. It's actually really fascinating. Um, so if you've ever had to manage contracts or send one out or negotiate it or you have to read them, you realize that this is just a horrible thing. Um, but I'll let him uh, talk a little bit about it. It's, it's really interesting. Uh, um, there's, there's really important aspects of customer experience uh, and building confidence. I mean, the whole thing about the sales marketing process is you wanna build confidence with your prospects and then Contracts is just the opposite, which you put yourself in an adversarial position. The contracts, you often don't provide the data people really want. And so, but I'll let him explain that. So please log on if you get a chance at 1 p.m. on Thursday and, and come listen to Dennis. Fascinating guy. Um, startup is, a, uh, is an English startup, but uh, he lives in Italy, I guess, because the food's better. That would be my guess. Uh, so he's enjoying life down there. Um, but we'll learn more about them uh, on Thursday. Uh, and we shouldn't have idea who our upcoming guests are after Thursday as well. Um, thank you very much. And let me wish you a great day. And we'll see you on Thursday. Oh, one last thing. If you get a chance, if you haven't already, if you like our content and you want to keep us going, make sure that uh, if you're watching us on LinkedIn or even on our website, make sure you go to uh, our Twitch thing and sign up there uh, as a follower. That'll help us a lot to keep everything going and to know what's going on in our community. Oh, and with that, have a great day and we'll talk soon. We'll talk on Thursday. Bye-bye.